if success requires perfection on our behalf, I mean, we're already on our way to being a massive failure if that's how we're going to define it. So the way that I kind of look at it instead is like if we can kind of reframe success as like the process of continually taking actions that put us closer to our stated goals, realizing that there's going to be bumps along the road, we're much more likely to get to those goals that we're, we're setting for ourselves when we leave ourselves that wiggle room and, and be willing to cut ourselves some slack and realize that, hey, life happens and it's not going to go all according to plan. The choices we make about how to earn, save, and spend our money all ultimately come down to how we think and feel about money and work. And whether or not you're quote unquote successful with your financial choices is all a matter of your perspective. So understanding and thinking about how you define success has a lot to do with whether or not you are satisfied or feel successful with your finances. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. If you live in the U.S., you live in a capitalist society that equates accumulation of money with success. The default assumption is that more money is better, and that success is accumulating as much money as you possibly can. But Examining that definition of success and figuring out if that's your definition of success can be really powerful when it comes to handling your own finances and can help shape your priorities and values that help define your own financial choices. And that's a lot of what my guest today does with his clients. Meet Brian Plain. Brian is an investment advisor representative with Gradient Advisors LLC, which is an SEC registered investment advisory firm located in Arden Hills, Minnesota. And he helps clients figure out what to do with their finances and helps them figure out a plan to meet their financial goals. And a lot of that work means really examining what success means, what enough means and recognizing that even with a good financial plan, as soon as you walk out the door with your plan, it'll change. But that doesn't mean you failed. Brian and I talk about how to examine your financial values and create your own definition of success and failure when it comes to your financial decisions. Hey, Brian, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Susan, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with what a certified financial planner is or where they kind of sit in that suite of financial support you might want in your business or your personal life. So can you give me kind of a quick summary of what you do and how you work with folks? Sure. So I think when most people talk about a certified financial planner and what they might do differently is that we kind of take more of a bigger picture kind of holistic look at people's finances and how that kind of interacts with their lives. So I mean, that just kind of covers basically beyond investments. I think, again, when most people say financial, their head immediately goes to investments, but there's obviously a lot more than that. So whether that's, you know, how much you keep in your cash cushion, you know, insurance coverage, looking at your employee benefits, you know, estate planning, insurance planning. I mean, basically just anything and everything that has to do with your financial well-being, I typically consider to be uh, fair game. I always uh, stop people and remind them that I'm not a CPA, I'm not an attorney, but I know those people. And I'm also not afraid of the uh, answer to a question being, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. So yeah, that's, that's I guess, from a bigger picture standpoint, I mean, where I guess a certified financial planner kind of sits in the spectrum of, of financial advice and so forth. As to kind of who I specifically focus on, I work with Gen X families that want to live better, both kind of financially 
and emotionally. So I kind of like to uh, sit in that area of that. I think there's enough articles probably out there on Roth IRA conversions. And frankly, I'm, I'm not an engineer, so your spreadsheets will always be better than mine. But where I really <laughs> feel like I can add the most value and kind of help folks is uh, kind of that, that money mindset focus of, you know, how do we take this vehicle that is money and turn it into kind of living a good life both now and in the future? Yeah, I absolutely adore your email. It is one of my favorites. And a lot of what you write about talks about that money mindset and kind of reframing how you approach, think about your money and how you're using it, how you're budgeting around it. So do you see money mindset issues popping up in your work? And kind of what value do you see in investing and paying attention to our overall relationship with our money? Yeah, so I see it a lot. And I think the value in it is that I think a lot of people don't always see that. I think it's very easy for folks to say, if we're talking about, you know, whether it's financial planning or just, you know, setting financial goals for yourself, it's easy just to focus on the numbers. So whether that's uh, a certain amount in savings, whether that's a certain, you know, income from your business, those are all, you know, good goalposts to have. And I think obviously keep us motivated, you know, build in our businesses and kind of move forward. But they often lack meaning, I think, behind them. It's just, well, this is the next, you know, goalpost to kind of hit. And then once you get there, it's like, well, then I'll be happy. You know, and that, that seems to be the story that we continually tell ourselves and we continue to move those goalposts and do it successfully. And it doesn't always translate into like, well, am I actually living a better life or the life I want to be living, you know, as a result of kind of doing that. So, so yeah, I think, you know, taking that money mindset approach is, is hugely helpful. A lot of times when I'm talking to people about it, it's the first time that they've really thought about it that way. But again, it, it kind of goes back to maybe what I mentioned earlier, which is just, you know, money itself is really just a vehicle. And I mean, you know, what we do with it can, you know, obviously dictate whether we're living the life we want or, or we're not. So yeah, I think, you know, bring, bring that up as, as part of the equation. I think so many people sometimes just think of money from the technical side of things, but you know, really it's just, you know, a, a thing that we can use to, to make our lives better. So yeah, it's a big, it's a big part of kind of what I help people, you know, realize through, through our work together is, you know, how can we, how can we kind of reframe that? And do you do that in any kind of structured way or it just kind of comes up naturally? How, how do you know, knowing that for just about everybody, including people who have done money <laughs> mindset work, it's always kind of something that is there. It's something in the background and how you view and use money is always something, there's always something new and different to deal with. So how do you, is it, is it kind of part of your process or just kind of comes up naturally? How do you approach that? Yeah, so it, it is part of my process, which then I think kind of has it has it come up more naturally. And some of that process is really that what I like to tell people is like, rather than saying that we're going to put together this financial plan, my issue with kind of the, I guess, standard issue financial plan has always been like, okay, this is great. Like you just spent, you know, thousands of dollars. You've put together a plan that lays out the next 30 years of your lives. You know, you walk out the office door, you're feeling good about yourself and you fall down and subsequently break your arm. And now you're out of work for like three weeks or four weeks. And like this, you know, you now have this this paper document that is now <laughs> basically worthless <laughs> because it's completely changed the second. So, I mean, the only thing we know when you when you do a financial plan is that we're not going to get it right. So, I mean, that's really the only thing you can know with any certainty. So the way I, I prefer to approach it is, you know, look, our goal here is not to build this, you know, really elaborate thing that, you know, has to be redone every, every time something changes in our lives. Instead, it's like, let's build out this flexible framework that acknowledges the fact, right, that life is going to change. And like, that's the thing that we know for certain. So I think when we're able to do that, it really allows a lot of space for kind of that money mindset to kind of come into it of that, you know, different people think about things differently when it comes to money. And I mean, nowhere is that more true than when we're talking about, you know, a couple <laughs> that's together and brings two separate, you know, money mindsets to it. So a lot of the work we're often doing is, again, how we can kind of blend those together where, you know, someone may 
be, you know, more emotional when it comes to money and like that kind of drives their decision making process. And there may be some people, you know, I don't know, maybe like someone who is also on this podcast with me who might take a money first approach to those things. <laughs> and, and, you know, how do we kind of blend those two when, you know, you're trying to coexist together and make money work for both of you? Yeah, it's so funny because when when my husband and I got married, we had we weren't necessarily we didn't necessarily have like different mindsets about money. We were both kind of along the same, like mostly saver kind of values. Mm -hmm. But what was really interesting was we decided who was going to control the finances based on who had a more of an emotional need to control mm -hmm. the finances. <laughs> like I could not not be in control of it. Like it stressed me out so much to not be in control of it. And he was like, yeah, I can do it, but I don't care. <laughs> and that's how we ended up making the decision about like, who makes financial decisions? It's who emotionally can't not make the decisions. <laughs> there might there might be a similarity in, in my household too as well, Susan, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, totally capable, but also I don't care. And you do. Yeah. So... <laughs> So let's kind of talk a little bit about one aspect of money mindset, kind of the success and failure. You know, we all want to be quote unquote successful with our money. We want to be making smart choices, making good decisions. And at least in my work, though, very few people are actually confident that they are making good choices or that they're being successful, even if that's not necessarily true. So is that true for you as well? And, you know, if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, absolutely. And well, I mean, maybe to start with the latter part of your question, I mean, the reason I think that it is, is when when you haven't kind of established what you view as success and really kind of gone through that process of, of really kind of defining that, the default is to look externally. So I think it's just, again, going back to that analogy of kind of moving the goalposts, it's so easy to you know, have what if you told yourself of five years ago, you know, would be a massive success to, to kind of equate to where you're at right now. If you, you know, that's, that's great. But really what you're looking at, you're looking at the person that's like five years ahead of you and saying like, but I have so far to go. And both of those things can be true at, at the same time. So I think, again, in terms of kind of like how we, how we view success, I think the more that we can look inward to kind of create that definition, the more satisfied we start to come and the more we're able, I think most importantly, to kind of enjoy the journey of success because again, there's there's really not a finish line to it. And again, I think for certain people that are just, you know, again, going to be entrepreneurial motivated to begin with, I mean, the people that are successful at it, I mean, it's they're, they're never looking backwards, right? You know, it's always like, what's next? What's next? And again, sometimes, you know, my part of my process is just to kind of slow people down and again, not rest on your laurels, but really just take a look back to say, you know, hey, let's take a minute here and just acknowledge like all that you've overcome, all that you've accomplished. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you're not going to still continue to work hard to, to grow from there. But again, just part of, I think, success is being able to, you know, enjoy it as, as a journey, as opposed to like, it's this some um, fictional, you know, destination that we will one day reach and, you know, just be massively happy for the rest of our lives. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've been reading The Psychology of Money, which you had recommended to me. And I, I ironically had been like, just delivered the day that you were like, <laughs> hey, you should read this. And one of the things that's really been sticking out for me is that Morgan, the author, says the hardest thing when it comes to money is to get the goalposts to stop moving. Mm. And that felt so, so really true, is that the, really the hardest thing when it comes to money is not figuring out how to use it or, you know, what a good, smart choice would be. It's really to figure out, you know, where is the goalpost and then get it to, to not be comparing to everybody else and people that are five years ahead of you and to kind of just release that idea that, in our society, you know, we equate success generally with 
money, right. <laughs> the accumulation of money, whether that's true or not. And being able to detach that is one of the kind of most challenging things that we have to do when we're learning how to handle and deal with money. For sure. And, and I think one of the things I know we're going to kind of talk a little, little bit about as well, too, is kind of, again, there, the amount of space there is kind of between a massive success and kind of a complete failure. I think the same thing holds true when you talk about kind of moving the goalposts. It's like, we, we either say that like we, you know, we're going to continue to move them completely down the field five years ahead of where we are, or we're going to like try and make them stop. And like, again, it's the same thing. It's like, well, like with most things, there's a happy medium there, right? It's like, you know, it's not to say that, okay, because we've reached a point where we feel like we now quote unquote have enough and we've kind of done the planning work to feel like we can see why that is enough for us. And that again, earning more money beyond that isn't necessarily going to, you know, increase our livelihood or our level of happiness. I mean, fr frankly, sometimes it might even, you know, add more stressors to our lives when we really look at it that we don't necessarily want to do. Just having that picture allows us to be more intentional. So again, I think it's that, you know, the goalposts maybe never stop moving, but certainly sometimes, you know, it probably would be smart of us to, to slow them down and, and move them more purposely as opposed to just like, well, we've checked this box and this is the next one that we're supposed to check according to, you know, again, the people that are in, quote unquote in front of me that I've decided to compare myself to. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of parallels to business ownership too. You know, the, the, trope is that we're we're all supposed to be growing our business and that's the goal is that there's never an end there's never a point at which we're not supposed to be growing and sometimes it's taking a step back and saying i'm making a conscious choice that this is this is the size of the company i want to grow and i will make other choices um, but i'm not growing just for the sake of growth yeah, absolutely. And I, and I also think it's one of those, again, it's like if you've only looked outwardly, you know, to define your definition of success when it comes to your business, that's that's the process, right? It's like you just continue to grow, 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 grow. And, you know, at some point, and again, I say this as someone who, again, as, as admitted, you know, solopreneur, I've, I've structured my business in that so that I can stay that way as, as purposely as possible. You know, sometimes it's the constraints that, that we put in place that allow our businesses, I think, to really shine. Because again, it takes so many of those options off the table. And most importantly, I think it prevents us from creating a business that essentially looks like the job that, you know, we escaped and why we left to go create that business in the first place. It's like, you know, I, I don't think it was, you know, that people got into business to be, you know, that miserable middle manager that, you know, they tried to escape it. And now that they feel like, you know, that maybe that's one of like six roles that they fill in their company, as opposed to like, that's the, that's the role they escaped. And at least at that point, they were only filling one role and they got to go home at night and not have to worry about it as much. So yeah, I think just, again, being that, you know, purposeful about, the growth of your business or when you're at a point where, you know, it's growth is now not the primary goal. Maybe now the primary goal is, you know, really to just work with people that you really enjoy working with. And maybe that involves, you know, cutting back some some places or just, you know, making changes to your business so that you can you can do that. Hmm. It's that time of year. Time to set some new goals or consider your New Year's resolution. And if you're like a lot of business owners, I know you might be thinking that this is the year you're gonna get your shit together when it comes to your money. You're gonna start reviewing that P&L statement you get every month. You're gonna be more intentional about how you spend and closely tracking the ROI you're getting. You're gonna get clear on exactly how you're making money and how you can make more of it without working yourself into the ground. Now, if you're both nodding your head and feeling the anxiety rise in your chest as I describe these financial goals, I see you. We all have the best of intentions about how we're going to manage our business finances, but few people actually follow through on learning how to manage their business's money or execute the financial plans they create. 
You want to feel like you're on top of your money stuff. But it's tough to climb over all the questions and reports and bank accounts and spreadsheets. That's where I come in. I help you think like a CFO. Working together, you'll learn the skills you need to confidently make database decisions about how to spend your money and how to structure your business so you make more. You'll build a more resilient business that's efficient and easy to run. And you'll create meaningful financial processes so you're never caught with your pants down again. Think Like a CFO is a six-month accelerator, online workshop, and coaching program that will teach you to think about your business like a CFO would. We'll cover six core topics, including risk and resilience, investing in your business, scaling sustainably, and your relationship with money. You'll also get dedicated implementation time and live support so you don't get stuck on the details or the execution. And you'll get a clear path to true small business financial literacy so you can connect your money to every other aspect of your work, from daily operations to long vacations. Think Like a CFO is enrolling right now. And when you register before December 31st, you'll also get my course, Not Rocket Finance, which is the perfect primer for Think Like a CFO. To find out more about Think Like a CFO and finally get your business shit together, go to scalespark.co slash CFO. All right, so you, you brought up failure when we were talking about success. And I wanna dig a little bit deeper into that. So, you know, maybe the flip side of success is failure, maybe. But you wrote a really great email the other week talking about kind of reframing how we approach failures. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and what your approach is there? Sure. And I, I mean, I should, I should point out all of these blog posts and emails I write are basically just reminders to myself <laughs> that, that, I, that I basically share with other people. And again, I think that's that concept that we talked about a little bit before of like, just that there's a lot of space between being a massive success and a complete failure. The example I used and, you know, I, I hinted at the end of the blog post that I was referring to myself in this, you know, with quarantine and so forth, I've, you know, some of the things I usually like to do to kind of get my exercise and workout just haven't been possible right now. So I took it upon myself to do one of those 30 day yoga challenges. It was cooking, got to day eight, doing well, had some accountability from some people. Day nine, fell asleep on the couch, woke up, decided to eat some ice cream instead of, you know, doing my yoga routine that evening. And now, you know, quote unquote, I have failed, right? And again, my reframe really there is, well, did I, you know, for eight days in a row, you know, I did a yoga program that I previously was not doing at all, you know, but again, because I did not immediately hit my goal of, you know, doing 30 days successfully, it's easy for me to say like, well, I can just kind of bag it and say, well, that was a, that was a good effort, Brian, but you know, you, you obviously failed at that. So I think, again, that's where I kind of go to reframing success of just there being, you know, a lot of a lot of space between being a complete failure and a massive success is that, you know, again, I made a lot of progress in that period of time and there's nothing that stops me from, you know, getting up the next day and just kind of picking up where I left off. So I think that's, you know, where we get ourselves in trouble when it comes to if, if success requires perfection on our behalf. I mean, we're already on our way to, you know, being a massive failure if that's how we're going to define it. So the way that I kind of look at it instead is like if we can kind of reframe success as like the process of continually taking actions that put us closer to our stated goals, realizing that there's going to be bumps along the road, we're much more likely to kind of, you know, get to those goals that we're, we're setting for ourselves when we leave ourselves kind of that, that wiggle room and, and cut ourselves some, be willing to cut ourselves some slack and realize that, hey, you know, life happens and it's not going to go, you know, all according to plan. Yeah, I, I just, I think it's so interesting. We, I mentioned this before we got on the call, but you and I were both in a virtual co-working 
group a couple of years ago. That's how we met. And we there was a question posted in the forum asking people how they approached failure and whether or not they you know how did how did they view failure and some people viewed failure as there's not really any failure you know it's all just data it's information it's you know something was successful and then there were the people that when things didn't go according to plan just really focused on the fact that it was a failure and i think that that's a great analogy here is you know sometimes there sometimes things don't go well you know in business in money in life things never go according to exactly how you planned them and a lot of it has to do with how you approach and think about that failure you know for me i'm one of those people that yeah, stuff may not have gone exactly according to what I wanted. There were certainly some wins. There were some maybe not so great moments. But for me, it's all just data to help me make better choices the next time around. And so I would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because, again, I can provide a, a point of comparison there of that I was probably in the latter category of that I was the person that, again, like if I didn't achieve that, like I was a failure and not not from the standpoint of like I was going to beat myself up and not get out of bed for like five days once, you know, I, I have that failure happen. Uh, but more from the standpoint of like for me, it was like anything that you know, didn't mean reaching what I was. If I was to view that as a, I would view that as a failure because to do anything else would would just be an excuse. So part of, you know, this was me kind of, again, giving up that sense of control that, you know, shocking as a financial planner, I seek, you know, that sense of control over so many things that really I, I, ca I can't control. And just realizing that like, you know, what I can control are the actions that I put into everything. You know, I don't necessarily always control the actions or I'm sorry, the outcomes, but I can control again, the actions that I'm kind of putting into it. So so I think I, I offer that just as a way for folks who, you know, say like, well, you know, it's too late for me or too late for my business. Like I'm already I'm already just wired this way. I do think it's something that, again, you can have a natural inclination to be one way or the other as, as it comes to that. But you can, I think, get better. Again, the example I always provide is that, like, you know, we always want to go from A to Z of like we want to go from being the person that just views any failure as like this is a data point, as you mentioned, and we can, you know, get better. We can, you know, just use it to kind of do it or, you know, like the example that I provided of myself where it's like, no, know if I don't reach exactly what I said, I'm a failure. Again, you don't have to go from A to Z to flip from, you know, one one area to another. Uh, there's a lot of space in between. You just got to kind of plug away and work at it. Yeah, I think I, I love that. So is there anything you think we should talk about that we haven't touched on already? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the only other thing maybe I'd add just to kind of, you know, sticking with our, our kind of money mindset topic here is I think it's whether it's personally or in your business. I, it's just that, again, the, I think the process of whether it's getting your finances in order for your business, getting your finances in order for, you know, your, your personal life. I think a lot of times people look at that and they just think like, oh, this is just such an overwhelming process or this is going to, you know, limit me so much. And, you know, I need that freedom, um, especially again, for the entrepreneur who's starting their, you know, has their own business and it's established and it's like, I don't want somebody else to tell me the way to do it. And I guess what I would say is, again, just kind of the re to provide a reframe around that. I mean, I know from the work that you do, Susan, and then again, from the work that I do with people on the personal side, you know, the goal here is actually to empower you. And again, I think that's the commonality that I hear of people who kind of go through, whether it's your process or my process, it's like, when you get to know your numbers and to know, you know, what those numbers allow you to do, you realize it's, you know, any restrictions that are put in place are actually tend to be freeing ones of that. Again, it's, it's that artificial restriction that you can put in place that allows that to no longer be an option and reduces your options that actually kind of grants you the freedom that, you know, maybe you, you feel like you should have in the first place now. So again, that's, I guess that's the only 
only other thing I would I would agree is that it, or, or point out is that I think there are certain things that you know it's easy to view them as like these are constraints and these are going to restrict my freedom, but sometimes it's those constraints that we put in place that I think actually allow us the freedom to kind of do the things we want both in our life and our businesses. Yeah, I love that. I think you know a lot of the reason that people shy away from paying attention and learning you know how to make different choices with their money is you know there's a lot of shame and guilt and fear that we're not doing it the right way and i think i i loved the word empower that you used is that being more aware of what's going on understanding what's happening is empowering and it allows you to make choices you know you're making conscious choices about where you want to spend your money and what you want to do with it versus kind of sticking your head in the sand and ignoring it and feeling all of that like emotional pent up like i should be doing something i should be doing something mm -hmm. and when you actually you know take a breath and take a few steps to even just little baby baby steps towards having a better understanding of what's happening i i think there's so much emotional release <laughs> and freedom that comes with that knowledge the freedom that comes with understanding what's happening um, with your finances and i think at least in the work that i've done with people it is really empowering that all of a sudden you you feel like you are empowered to make choices that matter to you that are important to you for sure and, and I, I think that's one of those things too where i again the conception is like oh well if i work with a susan or a brian they're just going to tell me what i have to do and it's like well, yes and no. I mean, we're going to show you, you know, here are ways in which, you know, you can do things that, again, go back to your word of empower us, to empower you to make kind of choices. But, you know, I always say to people, look, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I'm here to hear from you, you know, what's important to you. Take all of the competing priorities you have and help you come up with, you know, a plan of attack that, you know, feels like, you know, that you can feel good about, you know, not only right now, but kind of where you're headed in the future based on those choices you're making. So it's not, you know, me saying like, nope, you can't do that. Yes, you can do this. I mean, this is your life. This is your plan. But again, we want to do it in a way that empowers you to take, you know, all of these kind of seemingly, you know, individual decisions and just kind of showing you kind of how, you know, when you blend them all together to make sense of them so that you can, again, go back to kind of creating that flexible framework so that every time a new thing presents itself, it's not just like, okay, you throw your hands up in the air and you're completely back to where you started. It's like, okay, you know, we kind of planned for this. We knew that, you know, things wouldn't necessarily go according to plan, but we're not starting from scratch. It's like, you know, we're just at an area where again, we can return to, you know, the books, we can return to kind of their, your, you know, your overall, you know, flexible framework and really just look at like, you know, one, did this really change anything? And two, if it did, here are the different choices you can make about how you kind of want to move forward. And I think, again, that is a, that's a very empowering, empowering thing once you have that in place. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a perfect place to wrap up on. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect or learn more about what you do? Sure. Uh, so the best spot would probably be my website. And that's just brianplain.com. That's uh, B-R-I-A-N-N-P-L-A-I-N.com. And on there, again, Susan referenced my email. So I send out every two weeks um, an email to clients, people who sign up for my list, which basically just kind of shares, you know, my most recent blog posts. Um, you can also, again, check out my blog on there. I also record all my blog posts as audio articles as well, too. So if you want to go to my site and, you know, subscribe to those there as well, too, you can. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Brian. This was so great. The point of examining your financial mindset, values, and experiences isn't to shame you or to make you feel bad for stuff you haven't done yet or financial choices you made that didn't pan out. 
Ultimately, understanding your finances, whether that's personal or business, is all about empowering you to make choices that are based on your definitions of success, your definition of what enough is. So I want you to take some actions for me. First, take 10 minutes and write down what enough means to you. That can be a number or maybe even just a feeling. Second, write down what your definition of success is when it comes to your money. And again, that could be a number, a feeling, or just a description. And if you're up for it, I'd love for you to share it with me. Either tag me or DM me on Twitter at the Susan Bowles. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck.